Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This content may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. The guy who dumped the body was likely a local. I mutter a quick, oh, fuck. And my boyfriend and I begin sprinting as fast as we can away from this guy. I honestly didn't think she was human. I can't adequately describe how creepy she was. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. Well, here we are with another round of the stories that make your spine tingle. This week, we're featuring four true experiences and we introduce a new storyteller. We open the show with our title story coming to us from Reddit user SmallTownThrowaway01. And we hear all about the horrific discovery. And join me in welcoming our newest storyteller to the show, Melissa Medina. I live in a small rural community in the eastern U.S. It's a nice little town. Because of my work in the medical field, I've met some interesting folks. I'm also familiar with law enforcement and emergency personnel. Small town life is not as dull and uneventful as people think, especially since everybody knows somebody who knows somebody. I have a lot of stories to share, but since this one just happened, I'll start here. Because it's still very recent and the investigation is ongoing, I have to be vague with some details, but I needed to tell someone. I'm single and live alone. Due to a stalker, I've moved twice, but... That's another story for another time. However, it is relevant for this story for multiple reasons. The first reason being that I have a dog for the sake of protection, as well as have motion sensors and outdoor security cameras. The second reason being the location of my home, which is literally down the street from the fire department, I can see it from my living room window, and a couple blocks from the police station. However, next to the fire department is the road department, which is basically a parking lot where they park their road equipment and empty garbage trucks at night and on weekends. Oddly, it doesn't have a security camera. Small town life, I suppose. My house sits on a hill with a good view of that side of the street. Due to the incline, the large trees in the front yard and the half cornfield on the property next to me Most people on the street below wouldn't notice me in the backyard unless they were actively looking. However, I can see the street clearly, 
This incident happened Saturday evening. The county was holding its annual Independence Day spiel with a community barbecue, music, fireworks, etc. I did not attend because it's just not my thing. Plus, I have a dog and the sound of fireworks could be traumatizing. Before the big show, I took the dog out to relieve herself in the backyard. There was still at least an hour of daylight, but the entire neighborhood was pretty quiet because most everyone was at the fairgrounds or various other holiday events. So when an unfamiliar, large white pickup drove slowly down the street, I noticed. It must have turned around at the end of the street because I saw it again moving in the opposite direction only about 20 seconds later. This time, it turned into the parking lot of the road department. Now, people have been known to toss things into the empty garbage trucks, usually at night to avoid getting caught, because they don't want to or are unable to make the trip to the landfill themselves. Usually it's things like furniture or broken equipment, but I didn't see any of those things in the back of this truck. The driver was a somewhat stocky guy of average height, He took three large black trash bags from the bed of his truck and tossed them one by one into the hopper of the garbage truck. Then he left. Now, I swear I'm not one of those meddling rear window types who always thinks activity is suspicious and that their neighbors are up to no good, but something about this didn't sit right with me. Normally, when I see people tossing their garbage into the trucks and leaving, I don't bother reporting it because it's relatively harmless, but this time I had a gut feeling, so I called the police. If anything, they could get the guy for illegally dumping trash from a barbecue or whatever. But while I'm on the phone with dispatch, I put my dog inside to cut down on distractions while the officers investigate. A few minutes later, an officer arrived and I crossed the street to meet him, gave him a description of the events and pointed out which of the trucks the man had tossed the bags. He found the bags, he took the photos, he put on gloves, and told me to stay back. The bags were tied in a knot at the top, and it took him a minute to untie one because of the gloves and how tight the knot was, but eventually, he got it open, looked inside for a few seconds, then twisted it close and took a few steps back. Shit, he hissed under his breath. What? I asked. It's a body. I felt sick. I could tell he felt sick too. I saw him grow pale. His hand was trembling when he held the radio. Even his voice was shaking as he gave the code to dispatch. The dispatcher sounded confused when she asked him to repeat it. Within 10 minutes, the county sheriff was on the scene. Even he looked sick at the contents of the bag. The coroner arrived about 10 minutes after that and the first officer walked me back to the house along with another one who arrived at the same time as the coroner. Though I showed the first cop via the app on my phone when I described the events initially, I now showed them the video on a larger screen. The camera caught footage of the truck as it drove by both times, as well as pulling into the parking lot. Though, unfortunately, not a clear view of the license plate or of the man tossing the bags out of the frame. We watched the footage over and over, pausing frames, the officers taking notes. Ultimately, they requested this footage as well as copy of the files from the past week to see if the truck had been in the area before. 
I've also been saving footage until the road department installs their own camera this week. Because this is still fresh, I don't know many more details. I do know the body was in pieces, but I don't know the age of the victim, the gender, cause of death, any of that. Information hasn't been released to the public. I don't know if the coroner has been able to identify the body yet. A police cruiser has been parked at the fire department next door for constant surveillance in case the guy comes back. The guy who dumped the body was likely a local. How else would he know he could dump there? He probably thought it'd get buried in other people's illegal trash accumulated over the holiday weekend, and the sanitation crew wouldn't have bothered to investigate. When I think about how this guy lives in my community, it makes me physically ill. To think that he had clearly scouted the area for a dump site, that it may not have been the first time this had happened, and that this could happen again. If I hadn't called it in, if I hadn't been in the backyard at that exact moment, or if I had ignored the gut feeling, the victim would have never been found. May never find potential justice, and their loved ones may never have closure. In fact, there's a possibility that it just might happen again to another poor soul. I hope it's not me. Dear God, please don't let it be me. I think it's time I moved again. Third time's a charm, right? Update. Temporary housing acquired. Moving out. Can't get enough disturbed? We've got you covered on Patreon with monthly bonus episodes, ad-free listening, shout-outs, and more. Visit disturbedpodcast.com slash support. You'll be glad you did. Next up, we hear from Reddit user Depressed Mayonnaise. And we learn why you shouldn't sneak out at night. Performing this experience is Rhiannon Mauschel. This happened a little while back, when I was 15. I just discovered the rebellious act of sneaking out. This was probably my fourth or fifth time doing it, and this one night I decided to go and meet up with my boyfriend. At this point in time, we weren't together, but we liked each other. And you know how that goes. When you're with someone you like, you tend to not really pay attention to what's going on around you. The night starts out fine, and we're having a good time. I don't remember exactly what we were talking about because we had gotten pretty high. But I do remember what happened. We'd met up and gone to this elementary school that had a decent-sized field, with some hills and trees towards the end. It's important for me to explain this in order for you to understand how things went down. From where we were sitting, we had a clear view of the school, as well as the school's basketball court. The school was illuminated from the side lights, so we could easily see if anyone walked by. But it wasn't necessarily easy for people to see us. To our left was a little pavement path that led into a townhouse complex. So, we're sitting there at the edge of the field, looking at the stars and talking about random shit, 
when we start to hear the crunch of gravel coming from the school. Because we're high and paranoid, we immediately turn our attention to the illuminated basketball court. We watch as this guy walks by with his bike and doesn't seem to notice us. After he passes, we almost instantly forget about it and resume talking, laughing, and just being a bit loud. Perhaps 10 minutes later, we hear that same crunch of gravel. So we go silent and look towards the school. Once again, it's the bike guy. But this time, once he reaches the basketball court, he doesn't keep walking. Instead, he stops at the edge of the field we're sitting on and just stares out at it for maybe a minute or so, kind of like he was looking for us. We're a little creeped out at this point, so we start packing our things to leave. Then, this dude begins walking towards us. Once he stepped out onto the field, it became much more difficult to see him as the light from the school only lit up so much. We take this as our cue to leave, and the only way to leave without being extremely visible is to take the path into the townhouses. So, that's what we do. We try our best to be quiet and we walk through the pitch black path that leads to the townhouse complex. Keep in mind that we are not sober, so we are extremely freaked out. I check behind us constantly and for some reason could not shake the feeling that something bad was going to happen. We finally reach it to the end of the pitch black path and make it into the decently lit townhouse complex. We ease up a little bit and begin trying to find our way to the main entrance or exit because that's the closest way out besides the way that we came in. We are walking through the complex and start talking once more. Finally, we turn the corner to leave and just as we're about to leave, we see this same fucking guy with his bike right at the entrance. We all stop for maybe two seconds and then this guy drops his bike and darts right at us insanely fast. I mutter a quick, oh fuck, and my boyfriend and I begin sprinting as fast as we can away from this guy. We turn random corners and go down little back alleys, not once checking behind ourselves. I don't know where or when we lost him, but when we became tired and took a stop behind some bushes, we noticed that there was no man in sight. We stay in this position for about 20 minutes, trying to calm down. At this point, we've both pretty much sobered up, so we decide to try and leave again. We begin walking through the complex once more, and when we make our way back to the main entrance, we both see that the guy's bike is gone. We are both unsettled by this, because now we know he's no longer in the townhouse complex. We have no clue where this guy is, or if he's going to randomly appear again. Lucky for us, we both made it home safe that night. But I'll never forget the feeling of my heart sinking when we saw the bike guy blocking our way out. By far, it's one of the creepiest things I've ever experienced. We need to get rid of some evidence. Don't go anywhere. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. 24 hours ago, I found out the person that I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. Now back to the deliciously frightful. Disturbed Podcast with your host, Chad. In our next experience, we check in with Reddit user Laney68. And we hear about the lady on the back roads. Bringing this experience to life is Tanya Eby. I live in a country that was pretty rural until the last 10 to 15 years. The biggest town in our county is pretty crowded now. Overcrowded, and I hate it. I moved from there to the countryside. I like where I live, except it can be really creepy at night, because for miles and miles, it's dark and no streetlights. One thing about this county is that the main roads always get backed up real quick, or there's an accident or whatever, so it pays to go the back roads. The back roads like any other rural place, are less populated, dark, lots of trees, and no sidewalks. Anyway, a few years ago, something happened that almost made me stop using them. I was driving home kinda late one night. I decided to take one particular back road that shaved off 10 minutes from my commute home. I was tired and had to get up early, so I was going fast trying to get home soon. This road is a little more populated than some, But it is super spooky in some stretches, because huge trees are alongside the road, and their branches and leaves make a tunnel of sorts. So, I'm zipping through and round a curve. Up ahead, I see what I thought was a giant garden flag. You know, the flags that people put up in spring in their yards? Well, I thought it was a weird flag because it seemed like it was fairly tall and large, and it was in the middle of the road. As I get closer, My headlights hit it, and it's not a flag. It is a person. A lady. She was wearing a red fez. I live in rural Maryland. You just don't see a fez every day. A long, flowy white dress, 
and an orange reflective sash across her chest. A little strange because she's in the middle of the street. As I drove past her, it got weirder. As dark as it was, as I drove by, I could see she was about 60. She had glasses and I could see her bright blue eyes. She looked in my passenger window and she started doing this weird bounce thing. I thought she was going to try and get into my car. Mind you, I'm going pretty fast. I don't know what it was about her, but she freaked me the fuck out. I didn't think she would rob me. I really thought she was a soul snatcher or a skinwalker. I honestly didn't think she was human. I can't adequately describe how creepy she was. I sped past her as fast as I could. I kept glancing in my back seat to make sure she had not materialized in my car. I prayed, recited scripture, and kept watch in my rearview mirror. It was spring, so a little warm, but I felt bone-chillingly cold. I finally make it home and I run in to tell my mom the story. I got in just as my brother was telling my mom about this weird lady he saw as he was driving. It was the same lady, but he saw her at the intersection from the highway and the back road, whereas I saw her further down the road. We both had the same reaction. She also tried looking in his car. She was also bouncing around when he saw her. He said there was a car in front of him that sped off so fast when they drove past the lady. My brother was so freaked out that he won't travel that road anymore, even during the day. Eventually, I found out that the lady lives in the woods. Apparently, at one time, her family lived on that road. Her father was ill, and she tried to take him to the hospital. He died on the way there, and she drove around with his body in her car for hours. I guess she has mental health issues, and I think she lost the house or got kicked out. I have friends that live off of that street, so when I was talking about it, they knew exactly who it was. I still go on that road, but I haven't seen her since. I do hope she's okay, but I really do not want to run into her again. Are you terrified yet? You will be. And finally, we hear from Reddit user Tiege874, and we learn about the terrifying roommate. Performing this experience is Matt Bradford. I graduated from school in 2016. I wasn't working at this time. It wasn't like I didn't try to find work. I did. I just didn't get many calls back. I had a couple of job interviews, but they all fell flat. And it didn't help that I stupidly refused to put my resume forward to the local supermarkets because most of the high school bullies worked at them. And the thought of working with people who terrorized me for four-ish years filled me with too much anxiety. So instead, I spent most of the time surrounded with the select few friends that I had, which in the end wasn't that many at all. I was always the sort of quiet one in high school, and early on into school, I got a girlfriend. I spent most of my time developing our relationship further instead of finding friends, a mistake I would come to regret when we split up right before high school ended. See, I didn't really have many friends to fall back on. 
I had one really close friend all throughout high school that we will call Sam, as I don't want to use any real names. Sam was really supportive when me and my girlfriend broke up, but he also had a great job, a really nice family, money, friends, and at the time was a pretty good influence on me as my parents would say. He didn't do any drugs or he didn't drink. I looked up to him as a person and my best friend. So it was a really easy decision when Sam asked me to move in with him when he found a cheap rental property. Sam's family were friends with a small real estate agent office, so it was easy for Sam to find a house, even if it was stupidly overpriced for the condition of the house. We were stupid and our parents just wanted us out. Sam's family believed he was too successful for them to need to support him. And my parents, well, my stepdad, wanted me out because he was tired of needing to support me. And again, I wasn't working. So, Sam and I moved out with his childhood friend who we will call Blake. Now, before we moved, I had never met this person before. He was never really home because he was always out for work or dirt bike riding. He lived with us for about four months before the first big terrible event happened. Sam let two strangers, from Blake's perspective, sleep in his bed when he was away from home. Blake got home one night at 2.30am, ready for bed, only to walk into his room to see two teenagers having sex in his bed. He left the next day, and as far as I know to this day, after their last argument, they have never talked to each other again. So after that backstory, the brief introduction, this is where I'll get into the bulk of the story, starting from February 2018. At this point, I had a source of income. I had gotten a job through my dad and was enjoying being out of the house. By this time, I was starting to suspect that something was wrong with Sam. He wasn't leaving to go to work before me, which was weird. He was increasingly snappy and angry all the time. And he was leaving work early all the time and didn't tell me where he was going. I found out in the end he was cheating on his girlfriend at the time with the girl from our high school. The first few months he was acting this way, I mean, he would threaten to move all my stuff out of the house and onto the road if I didn't do something he said, like cleaning up the house on my own or going shopping or any other various tasks. I didn't have much, only my mattress, which he accidentally broke my bed frame while I was out, and my office computer, which I used for Discord and playing small indie games, so it wouldn't have been hard for him to actually do it. He never did, but I guess it was because I never really argued with him. He started stealing my clothes, which didn't even fit him, and he'd let me borrow my shirts just to brag about how good of a friend he was. Eventually, he just stopped cooking for himself. Sam's dad had given him a fuel card to use for petrol, but he used it to buy fast food twice a day for months. Until his dad cut him off from the card, in which he turned to two-liter bottles of iced coffee and McDonald's nightly. I understand this was more of his business and not mine but he eventually asked me to cover part of his rent and he couldn't afford bills, which made it my issue. I mean, he asked me to buy him food and when I refused, he would guilt trip me into feeling like absolute shit or he would block the entrance to the house or the doorway to my room. I was already really anxious since he had started getting more aggressive and angry, so I often agreed, which left me struggling with money. And at some point, he just stopped going to work. As he explained it, Work let me leave early today, and they said they would call me in again if they needed me. We got into an argument. I told him that he was wrong, and he still had to go to work. It took him 10 weeks to call up his work, who explained to him that they meant for that day, and that they had registered him as abandoning his job. So he ended up unemployed. I tried to support him as much as he had for me during my breakup, 
Now, I moved in and I was unemployed, but he got really mad and angry all the time, which he took out on me, screaming at me for being right. Because of all the free time, he started inviting the girl from high school over all the time, threatening me to keep it a secret from his girlfriend. Obviously, in the end, I, I didn't since I was close with Sam's current girlfriend. I was actively trying to stay out of the house, so I only ever saw this girl over two or three times, but in reality, she was over all the time when I was at work, about four times a day. Now for the most tragic part of when I was living with him. He decided to buy some pets. He was given a bird from his family, and he bought a dog which he called Sparta, and he decided to buy a cat which he called Skittles for the girl from high school, which ran away. He bought another cat and called it Skittles again. And the state that this kitten was left in was appalling. When either the girl or I wasn't around the house, it was revealed that he would lock the kitten in a closet and only feed her when he remembered. I should have tried harder to protect the animals in the house. I tried my best to feed them when Sam wasn't around, but when he caught food missing, he would question me. And when he found me feeding his cat, he grabbed me, slammed me into the wall, and screamed at me for poisoning his animals. I remember he hit me really hard. One day I came home and the bird that he kept near the door wasn't there, and Sam wasn't home. I asked him where the bird was and apparently it had fallen over in his cage and broke its neck. This was where immediate panic started and I realized that I was living with someone who was much more than depressed. Sam came home later and I was ready to explode at him, and I was fueled with rage and anger for what he had done to the bird. With an empty shoebox, he proceeded to go to our backyard. I followed him and it turns out that he had the box to bury the kitten who, according to Sam, broke its neck jumping around in the closet. I remember the way he told me vividly. He wasn't sad or angry, he was just empty. His eyes felt hollow and he told me he wasn't sad about it. He went back inside his room and locked himself there. I didn't see him for nearly a week. I came home one day from a very tiring day at work. I had requested to get the morning off to clean for a house inspection, but at this point I believe that this was our second one, so I stayed behind at work to do some overtime. Sam thought I was out for the night, and when I got home around 8.30, I found him and the girl from high school smoking weed in our lounge room. I didn't say a word. I couldn't. At this point, Sam wasn't the same person I went to high school with. Every day over the past six months, he had found a way to yell, steal, guilt, punch, kick, threaten me nearly every day. There was always a reason he got mad at me, blaming me for what happened to the bird or cat because I wasn't there to stop them from hurting themselves. This was one of the final turning points for me. I went to bed and had a sleepless night. I heard Sam insult me. I heard him cheat on his girlfriend. I heard him lie about money, being employed, and using everything he remembered from high school to impress her. The next day, I told his girlfriend... I stole his dog, who was incredibly malnourished, even after I'd been sneakily feeding him a handful of dry food twice a day. I called the RSPCA and reported him for animal abuse. I emailed photos I took of the house for proof. I used the cover of the real estate agent coming over for an inspection to protect myself from him overreacting. And when I came back to collect the last of my things, which was my old PC, I stupidly entered the house thinking our real estate agent was in there. I thought her car was there when it wasn't. I was greeted in the hallway by a shirtless Sam who pushed me against the wall. The smell of weed and alcohol was burning into my skin. He pushed me up against the wall with one hand and showed me a knife in the other. He had me pinned against the wall with a knife in his hand. 
There was a long argument. It was him more screaming at me and, and me shaking and not being able to spit my words out. He got angry at me when I told him where Sparta was, so he choked me and ran the silver of the knife down my arm. I remember feeling like I blacked out. Everything was a blur. He kept getting more and more intense, going on about how he betrayed him as a friend and how his girlfriend dumped me over him. He let go of my neck, pushed me harder into the wall with his shoulder, and drew the knife close to my neck. I truly felt like I was going to die. I muttered out, My friends can hear you. We were close enough to my room, and he often knows that when I leave it, I always have my Discord open. He let go of me, and I ran away to my car and left. I stayed with my parents for a couple of days, living on their couch, too afraid to really talk to anyone. My parents called me jumpy. I told them that I missed them because I had hardly seen them over the past 10 or so months. Sam checked me a message saying we needed to talk, which we did in a public place. He told me that he was moving out back to his parents because he could no longer support himself and the house had too many bad memories for him. To this day, I still haven't seen him. And this was around August 2018. And people from high school stopped being his friends once the girl and I told our collective friends about what he had done and how he had acted. I reported him to the police. I never pressed charges, but I told him I never wanted to see Sam again. I don't think anything ever came of it. I couldn't afford to get a restraining order. As I recall being told they cost money, I moved back to the house on my own. He left all his furniture and bedding as it was, only taking his headphones, his PS4, and his TV. From that moment on, I was alone and living in the house that my best friend nearly killed me in, sleeping on his couch in the lounge room because I couldn't afford my own. I was alone. I was in a really bad headspace. I stopped talking to all of my friends at work. I started having nightmares. So, this was dating from October 2018 to August 2018. I was still in the house until early 2019, which, living in the aftermath of what Sam did to me, was just as bad, if not worse, than living without him. The isolation and darkness, and things I saw and regret not doing, like not being there to save the bird and the cat, still eat away at me. So, where am I now? At the end of 2018, I met my current partner. She is absolutely incredible, and we actually bought a house together last month. We currently live with my parents until we move in in two weeks, and I think all of my negative feelings about my old house and Sam have resurfaced due to me moving again. In the end, I'm still scared and cautious, but getting this off my chest is a way that I am moving forward and putting my old house behind me. Are you loving the show? Let us know with a positive rating and review. In return, we'll help you hide the body. And before we sign off on this week's episode, let's take a listener message off the hotline. Hi, uh, my name's Hunter. I just wanted to call in and uh, share one of my stories I've been thinking about recently as uh, I just discovered your podcast about three days ago, but my coworkers and I have already... Uh, Listen through about your entire catalog as we uh, commute about like six to ten hours every day for our work. But uh, 
anyways, this story happened about, I guess, seven-ish years ago, back when I was seven, 15 or 17. But um, I had, uh, was super into cryptids and all the kind of spooky stuff and the like back when I was that uh, young. And um, I had been looking into uh, demon dogs or, like, um, I think they... I think I've heard, remember one in specific was called like Black Shuck or anything. Anyways, here's, I ended up having an experience with um, what I believe was a demon dog back when I was riding in the car with my mom and we had just turned on to um, 138, which is the road that I used to live off of back in, when I lived in Southern Virginia. And we had, uh, we had just turned on to the road and I happened to look out the passenger window and I see this uh, black dog in the field that was on the side of the road. You know, sometimes dogs know that they've done something bad. There's kind of a posture like that, like the tail between his legs. And when it turned and looked at me, I could swear to God, this thing had like red-orange eyes. And, it, you know, it was nighttime, so my first thought was maybe it was um, like a reflection from the headlights shining to the dog's eyes. And then I thought about it, well, any other dog that I've seen before, they usually kind of shine back a bluish green. And then as we continued past it, I realized that the eyes were like still lit up. And I remember what I learned about them, about how uh, the legend states that, like, they're usually seen as bad omens, like something bad is about to happen to you or just something bad in general happen. I know some stories say that, like, if you see them three times, that uh, you're going to end up dead. Well, anyways, I was, like, super freaked out. And as we continued down the road, not even, like, a mile later, we came across this car that I had flipped over and was laying in the middle of the road. There's apparently the accident had just happened, so we pulled over, and the woman had already gotten out of the car. She seemed fine, and um, we asked her, like, hey, are you okay? And asked what happened, and we waited with her while the paramedics were arrived, and she said she had no idea what had happened. She had just been driving down the road, and all of a sudden she had lost control of her car. There's no other cars involved. She hadn't had to dodge an animal, nothing. She just lost control of her car and completely flipped and totaled the car, thankfully. She was all right, but needless to say, that experience was just kind of jarring for me. Thanks, Hunter. Now, you can fall into quite the rabbit hole by looking into demon dogs or hellhounds online. So if you're so inclined, go ahead and look into it. Thanks again for the call, and let's keep these listener encounters coming. So if you have a creepy or unexplainable experience to share with us, Leave a message on the hotline at 701-354-3667. Now keep in mind there's a three-minute time limit to those, so another option is recording a voice message on your phone or device and emailing it to mystory@disturbedpodcast.com. Disturbed is an independent production funded through advertising and listener support. Thanks to those who share the show with friends and leave positive reviews. These things help new listeners find us. Follow or subscribe wherever you're listening right now so you never miss an episode. And if you'd like to hear these episodes without the ads, you can get early access to our premium ad-free feed as well as monthly bonus episodes. Visit disturbedpodcast.com support to learn more. And a shout out to our newest supporters, Andrea Rivera, Lauren, Mick Columbus, and Nathaniel Locke. Thanks so much for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all. <laughs>